Selling products is easier and harder than it's ever been. There's a lot of great tools and resources that make it simple, but there's also more competition and there's a lot more distraction on what works and what doesn't. One of the hot topics in the e-commerce space for at least the past couple of years has been influencer marketing. There's a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of misconception about this, uh, this kind of topic and this technique. But in this episode, we're diving in with a guy who's worked with more than 10,000 influencers and he's spilling some of the secrets on how to actually create effective programs for our e-commerce businesses. Hope you enjoy the episode. Listen all the way to the end. Here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan. And in every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AM PM podcast. In this crazy world of e-commerce and digital marketing, there is a lot of information out there about what we should be doing, what we should be using, what works, what doesn't. We know that, I won't say they don't work, but we know that like the world of ads is changing, right? The big iOS update, the big Google slap that happened a few years ago. Like It's not as easy as it was maybe five, six, seven years ago. As we look at what is working now, one of the hot topics and one of the hot keywords is influencers. Now, we think of influencers, a lot of us think of the Kim Kardashians of the world and the Paris Hiltons of the world that are on you know, these big stages and have millions of followers, and they're really outside of the scope of possibility for our e-commerce products generally, right? So as we're looking at how we can effectively utilize this idea of influencers while doing it on a scale that is actually realistic and affordable and, you know, in a way that we can track what works, we need to sort through some of the BS and find out, you know, really good information. So our guest today, Paul Benigeri, hopefully is that guy. Uh, We've got a lot of topics that we're going to cover in this episode where he's basically going to share a lot of the information that he's figured out over the past uh, year or years with uh, working with probably countless influencers, I'd say. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Thanks, Tim. Excited to chat about this stuff. It's definitely been a lot of influencers, probably close to 10,000 now. That's amazing. So I think that uh, that adds a little credibility. You've worked with over 10,000 influencers. So hopefully, uh, hopefully you've got some good stuff to share with us, and I'm sure that you do. But you didn't start out in the marketing world. You didn't even start with uh, anything related to influencers. Before we started recording, you said it was actually kind of an accident. So can you briefly run through like your professional history? Tell us how you got from you know your, your first professional job or first professional position, I should say, all the way to this world of influencers. Yeah, it definitely was not my plan. When I got to the U.S. for school, I went to Stanford University, studied computer science. I thought I was going to build software, maybe go work at Apple, go work at Google, do some crypto stuff. So back then, it was around 2014 where I was finishing up my degree at at Stanford. I'd spent some time in the crypto space before it was super, super hot and built a couple of apps and didn't have any traction, no users, no product market fit. That was actually one of the early lessons in marketing, right? Just building a bunch of software that nobody ended up using. In hindsight, I would have done things really, really differently with all this new learning. After that, I joined early a company called HVMN, Health Via Modern Nutrition. 
So I joined on the founding team and there were essentially three of us, three engineers trying to build an e-commerce company that created these really, really high quality supplements that would help people with human performance. And we approach it with a very, very technical perspective. We were building our own e-commerce stack. We were really thinking about building our own products and we knew nothing about marketing. We got very, very lucky because when we started the company, biohacking was super hot. Nootropics were super hot. And so we got a ton of PR. That meant that we could do our own thing, engineering stuff, and the business grew. It grew, it grew because we got you know, featured in the New York Times and this and that, and we'd have back-to-back press coverage. About a year and a half in, that tapered off. And so we went from being PR-driven, which was really, really great, to you know not having as much PR and realizing that like actually, hey, we have to go build out all of these different channels. And so the most valuable thing for me to be working on as a you know early team member of this company is not really building a Shopify clone that would just be used by you know by us, right? Building our own e-commerce stack in Ruby on Rails, but it actually be to learn about SEO, learn about digital marketing, learn about influencers. And so I spent about five years at HVMN going from, you know, helping build the first version of the website and really taking it to the next level, um, all the way to doing a Shopify migration so we can move on a really quick, steady, stable platform and take advantages of all the stuff they built. Also building out the e-commerce team, right, where we think about CRO, where we think about how to, you know, ship different features on Shopify to improve, you know, retention, uh, conversion rate. And we also spent a lot of time figuring out different channels. So, you know, spent millions of dollars on Facebook ads, trying to get that to work and getting that to a really good spot. Um, SEO going from zero to 250,000, you know, new visitors in the blog in about 12 to 15 months. That was painful too. We got hit by Google a couple of times. Um, And also influencer marketing, trying all kinds of things, working with big influencers on YouTube and then building communities of really small influencers, which, which end up working really well. So that's really how I got into it, right? Started off with software and then realizing that in order for our company to grow, we didn't have to ship more code. We actually had to learn to market and build, you know, what, what I like to think of as, as marketing infrastructure to be able to deploy effectively across different channels. So when you were first reaching out to these influencers to market this, how long ago was that? Ooh, the first the first shots at influencer marketing were probably four years ago, four and a half, five years ago. And I assume that things have changed a lot since then, but back four or five years ago, how did you start reaching out to finding and identifying these influencers? So the first things we did four or five years ago were YouTube reviews. We had a new product and we found some people on YouTube. Back then we were just going on YouTube and looking for relevant channels and then doing a bunch of Googling to find their email addresses, see if we could find them. Very, very unsophisticated approach, getting in touch with them, sending them product, you know, just by sending them a care package and then from there building the relationship. So in some sense, that has remained the same. We still have influencers. They're people that have an audience on a certain platform. We still need to find the right influencers and vet them, except we have much more advanced tools to do that at a larger scale now and also different platforms. And then we're a little bit more thoughtful about how we activate influencers, what we call the engagement model or the activation model. We can do whitelisting. We can do affiliates. We can do paid stuff. We can do gifting stuff. And we're also a lot more thoughtful about tracking performance and being Instead of being like, hey, we just want to work with an influencer. Let's do influencer marketing. Well, why do we want to do influencer marketing? What is the goal of this initiative? Is it to acquire content that you're going to run on paid social? Or is it for brand awareness? Or is it for sales? And depending on what your goals are, you might want to take a different strategy. 
So let's back up for just a second and, and assume that some of our listeners have no idea what influencer marketing is, right? I think on a very high level, you know, it's easy to understand, hey, we're basically working with people of influence, people that have an audience, and we're trying to produce some sort of result, like buy this product, follow this brand, whatever. But tactically, let's talk about just a few examples of how that works. You just mentioned a couple like gifting and affiliates. Can you run through just really briefly the main types of influencer marketing, kind of logistically how those work? Yeah. And I think an important thing to keep in mind is that when we say influencers, we can either be specific to one platform So we might talk about influencers on Instagram or on YouTube or as a whole. In this case, we'll take a step back, keeping in mind that an influencer is someone that has an audience on a platform. And usually you work on platforms that aggregate influencers and audiences. For example, on YouTube, there's lots of people that have influence. So how do you work with them? The most common way is to do a sponsored post, sponsored content. People call it as like pay to post. You're like, hey, influencer, you've got 10,000, 10 million followers. We've got this thing we want you to promote. We'll give you a thousand bucks, 10,000 bucks, 50,000 bucks in exchange for content they will share on your platform. The YouTuber will create some content. So there's a content creation perspective, and then they will share that content with their audience. Another example is an affiliate model. So this kind of flips the incentive a little bit. Instead, or sometimes in addition to giving the influencer a flat fee for creating and sharing that content, you might be like, hey, Let's align the incentives a little bit. Our product costs $100. Every time you sell our product, you will get $10 or $50, whatever that you know amount is. It depends. Digital products typically have higher commission rates than physical products because the margins are a lot higher. So that influencer now is referred to as an affiliate. They're going to be like, okay, cool. I want to sell as many of these products as possible. So I'm going to be a lot more pushy, a lot more sales driven. And I might create a lot more than just one video. I might do 10 videos because every time I do a video, I make a bunch of money and it kind of flips the incentives because it's a lot less capital intensive for the brand at the beginning and aligns more on the results. That might be not as exciting for a brand from a brand awareness perspective because the affiliates might feel a little bit more uh, almost like too salesy or, or shilly. And so uh, brands that run large scale affiliate programs and, and also try to have really high quality brands spend a lot of time giving affiliates the right resources to be able to you know, speak about the brand in, in, a, in an authentic way, in a nice way that hits all the brand points. Another example is going to be that's becoming really, really interesting right now is whitelisting. So, or, you know, takeovers or things like that. So typically when you're running your paid social ads, your your Facebook or Instagram ads, you're running them from your brand's Facebook or Instagram page, right? When someone sees your ad on their feed, it's like, you know, brand name and here's the content. What you can do now is connect the influencer account to your Facebook business manager and run ads from that account. So sometimes, and that really can open up a whole new set of possibilities because you might not even need the influencer to share that with their audience. You don't even need to ask them to share it on their YouTube channel or on their feed because you're distributing the content through, you know, Facebook ads, right? You're actually buying the media there. And then a a, a final example, which is also very, very relevant nowadays is thinking of influencers as content creators. So, you know, a big influencer might be really, really good at creating content. They might not really want to post, on their feed because they want to keep it curated or they might charge a lot for that. But you might be like, Hey, I need more content. I need to find 10 influencers 
and pay them cash or, or something to have them create a couple of videos talking about my product. We don't really care about their influence in this case. We just care about their content creation. We just want the video and to get rights so we can, you know, use it for marketing. So would you consider a lot of these uh, new or kind of old methods? Are these traditional methods or, or a mixture of some of the new? I think the only one that is truly new is going to be whitelisting with things like affiliates, with things like content creation, with things like, you know, sponsored post. I think that's just been happening for, for decades in different mediums, right? I think you can think about a radio show. If someone talks about your products and does a product placement on a radio show, or even an artist doing a product placement on a YouTube video that, that they might have for an up, that that's basically influencer marketing, right? In, in some way, shape or form. I think it's been standardized and it's become a lot more popular because there are way more types of influencers and way more influencers and way more influencer platforms. And these people have a lot more reach and are easier to tap into. So it's becoming modernized and way more common. But I think that those models really have been around for a while. So I understand the premise of influencers and everybody wants influencers, you know, at their beck and call to help promote their e-commerce brand. But how do we actually build a scalable and profitable like program? Because yeah, I can go out and find influencers in my niche and I can offer them a ridiculous amount of money. And of course they'll post, right? But if it's not scalable and if it's not profitable, it's obviously not doing us much good. So how do we even begin building a program that, that fits those kind of criteria? Yeah, so I want to start by talking about one of the problems you just mentioned, right? Like you you pay an influencer a bunch of money and, and we've done that and that's worked in the past and it's kind of like maybe 50-50. What we've even seen with these large influencer buys where you're working with a larger influencer for one big video is that it can be really unreliable. We had one example where we worked with this YouTuber, paid him, I think it was like $5,000 for a video and the first video generated thirty five thousand dollars in sales and we're like oh wow this is pretty awesome let's do it again like we will for sure work with him again the second video same budget posted six months later first of all it was really slow to reactivate him because he was busy and so that's like a challenge working with bigger influencers and when he posted the video we watched it and we're like wow this is great this is going to crush and it drove significantly less than five thousand dollars in sales so you go from a what 7x ROAS to maybe like 0.5 ROAS and we're like, okay, what the heck? Like, what, what what happened? Like, do we work with him again? Do we bet Do we bet on him again? Do we find other creators? Puts you in a challenging position. Big influencers can be very, very spiky, and so that's a challenge for a brand, right? You want like steady performance that is, you know, repeatable. So when when these things started happening, I had my eye on a lot of my friends at companies like Halo Top, MVMT, you know, Boutine, a bikini company they were building influencer communities. So instead of working with a couple of influencers in a transactional way, they started off by really building a community. And what's a community? It's, it's a lot of relationships between influencers and the brand. And what they did was every month, they would gift hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of influencers, some, some as much as thousands of influencers. This works really, really well if you have a cool product that, that is giftable. So you go to these influencers like, hey, would love for you to try my product. Here you go. If you like it, let's let's have a conversation. The cool thing is that most influencers will actually post if they like your product anyway, especially if it's on Instagram and maybe if they're on the smaller side. And then by the time you know you want to do 
affiliate marketing, by the time you want to do whitelisting, by the time you want to do paid content, you have a really like a stable of influencers that have really good relationships with your brand. And what we see brands doing really, really well is finding ways to re-engage these same sets of influencers every month. So think about it that way. You're starting off, find 20 influencers, have them try your product. You'll have 10 that post, 10 that just don't like your product or didn't post or ghosted you. Cool. Next month, you re-gift those 10 with a different SKU. Maybe you have a different color. Maybe you have a different flavor. You have a limited edition. Re-gift that to those 10 people and find 20 new ones. And then by month two, you'll now have 20 influencers that are really reliable for you. And so you can kind of grow that over time. And that's what we see working really, really well. There's different tactics around that. There's different ways to manage that in-house with an agency, but really the concept is the same. It's testing influencers and giving them a shot and then really doubling down every month on the influencers that are creating great value for your brand so you can compound those relationships over time. So that makes a lot of sense, but how does that compare to the traditional influencer marketing methods? So traditionally, you know, you would just pay them, right? And think of it as a, a lot of times a one-time campaign. So you got a big campaign, you know, you, you're, you're doing a launch and you're like, okay, cool. We've got this big launch. We need to deploy $100,000, $50,000. Let me go find 20 influencers. Let me pay them for this one-off thing, right? Maybe you have another launch six months ago and you go back to the same influencers, but it's not the same kind of relationship, right? What we, what we see working really well is, is, building that community in a, in a consistent, steady way. So every month, going back to those same influencers that are performing and you know gifting them again. So one of the big differences is that if you take this approach and you have a giftable, giftable product, you can actually generate thousands and thousands of posts and therefore millions of impressions and, and a ton in sales by simply gifting, right? So you find your 100 influencers or something, you gift them the product, they like it, you can give them some more next month works really, really well with CPG products that people like to try experience. You know, you're trying some cereal, you really, really like it, you're an influencer, you'll want some more. So you'll, you know, create some content for the brand and, and have that that relationship. So I understand the premise of this. I understand that um, it's almost like instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, paying a large fee to one influencer and hoping, you know, one post or one set of content works, you're spreading out the love, you know, among a lot of potentially smaller uh, influencers. It also sounds like the gift, right? Like you're just sending the products. Hey, we want you to try this. You want to test this is for relationship building. Cause I'm sure that these influencers are just getting hounded, you know, in their private messages and on their LinkedIn and their, you know, their, um, Insta, you know, DMS, Hey, we'd love to work with, love to work with you. So are you saying that by going ahead and kind of offering them an olive branch, Hey, here's a product we'd like for you to check out. It sets you apart from everybody else wanting their attention, but it also begins a relationship that could lead to just organic referrals, recommendations, and then it kind of opens up the door to have a more serious conversation later. Yeah, that's right. And when you think about this gifting model, typically you can, when there's not any media spend to kick it off. So it's not capital intensive, like a, you know, a big pay to post campaign. That means you can work with a lot of influencers. That means you can work with a lot of smaller influencers instead of a couple bigger ones. And the nice thing about these smaller influencers, often called nano influencers, is that number one, they're super, super authentic, right? They're not posting product all the time. A lot of times it's maybe, you know, a cool mom or a cool cousin on Instagram that's just been sharing some cool stuff about their lives. And so most of their followers are their friends, their family, their friends of friends. Their engagement is really, really good and they're super authentic. So that's very, very powerful. 
you know, you can really tap into that, that word of mouth feel promotion for your company. The other thing is that working with smaller influencers leads to way more content, right? So when you think about building your community of influencers and what influencer marketing does for you in a holistic perspective, you're going to get a lot more ammo for different things, whether you want, you know, specific influencers to kind of promote to affiliate programs or whitelisting programs, you'll have a lot more influencers to pick from if you start off with this gifting, you know, large set of nano influencer approach. If you're thinking about content for paid social, you'll have a lot more content if you work with a larger number of nano influencers. So working with these smaller influencers means that you can really, really get great value for each one of them. And again, when you have so many of them, even if one or two don't perform, even if 10 to 20 don't perform, it doesn't matter because you have hopefully hundreds of others if you're scaling this program that make up for it, right? Unlike yeah. if you have all your eggs in a couple of baskets, right? You have this big YouTuber that, you know, fails that next video and then you have a really terrible month. So let's talk about size because everybody gets excited about a large audience size, right? They really do. You're talking about nano influencers, which are like really, really small following numbers, I assume. Like, like what is a nano influencer? Every agency, every company has a different definition. To us, it's someone that's got between maybe 1,000 and 25 or 50,000 followers. The main thing is that they're not really a professional influencer, right? Like they're not necessarily doing this to make a bunch of money. It's not their full-time job. And so they're typically very, very approachable. The other thing is that on some platforms like TikTok and like Instagram, there's a ton of nano influencers that can get you a lot of reach. YouTube is a little bit different. Nano influencers on YouTube, it's not as successful because you need to spend a lot of time creating content. And so if you post, if you get these tiny YouTubers with 50 followers or something or, or a thousand followers to create a video for you, you're not going to get a lot of reach. Instagram is very different. Every single person in the world now basically has an Instagram account. So there are millions and millions and millions of nano influencers that you can tap into that get, you know, 5,000 views. 10,000 views and all of that can really, really add up. So the opportunity is, is there because of the platform dynamics. All right. And, th and that makes a lot of sense. So a nano influencer isn't necessarily size. It's about attitude. It's about approachability. It's about how competitive the landscape is to get their attention and get them to post. I understand that. That's, that's actually a neat illustration, kind of a different way of thinking about it that I hadn't thought about. I thought it was just size. So we've, touched a few times on the word engagement, right? Engagement is, it's definitely become a hot topic, a, a key word that a lot of people in digital marketing space are focusing on because people are starting to realize that size doesn't really matter as much as engagement does. There are a lot of quote unquote influencers and there are a lot of social media accounts out there, which is massive, massive numbers of followers, but very, very, very low engagement. So if we are focused, tell me if this is correct, but it sounds like if we're focusing on you know, multiple smaller influencers that aren't getting much love. They aren't getting much attention. They don't have people reaching out to them all the time. So they're going to be more receptive to those conversations, but you know, who don't necessarily have the same numbers, the same follower numbers, but have very high engagement that for less money and less energy and less effort, we can get a much larger reach because when they do post something, they're excited about it. When they do get an offer, they're more willing to work with us. And when they do post, 
they have more people actually engaging with those posts and take them as a credible source of information for a product referral or for an idea or for something like that. So the effectiveness essentially goes up. Did I summarize all that correctly? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's helpful to look at some actual numbers of, of comments and errors with influencers. When you have a big, in, let's say a medium influencer, 100,000 followers, right? A common engagement rate is going to be 2%, 3%. Let's say, let's say 3%. So what does that mean? You've got 100,000 followers and you've got a 3% engagement rate. That means you get really 3,000 likes or comments per feed post. If you have someone with you know 50,000 followers and 10% engagement rate, they're going to get 5,000 likes and comments per feed post. Um, that, that's, that's just better. More comments, more reach. Typically, probably might be less expensive because they don't have like 100,000 uh, followers. And you can even go down lower, right? 25,000 or, or 20,000, right? We see people that have 20% plus engagement rates. And so when you target these smaller people, there's actually like a ton of really, really valuable, you know, pockets of engagement through these people. The way we look at the way we qualify influencers and decide whether we want to work with them. Sure. There, there's some different factors in general, like, Hey, are they great content creators? But typically it's simple. There's three things. Number one is relevance, right? Like, do they talk or post about something that's related to your business? Yes or no? Is it the right niche? That's obviously important. The second thing is going to be, you know, audience size, right? But you cannot just look at audience size without the third thing, which is engagement rate. So what we typically do is, is a really simple model is multiply the audience size, the number of followers by the engagement rate. And then we get an absolute number for total number of engagements on average. And that's what we care about, right? Because if someone has, you know, 2,000 engagements on average, it doesn't really matter if they have 100,000 followers or 10,000 followers. We value them the same way. They're going to have the same amount of people that watch them, the same amount of likes, same amount of comments. And then you can also look at the quality of engagement. So one trick, if you want to quickly decide whether an influencer has you know really good influence, go in the comments on their feed posts. Try to find something that you know is a little bit similar to what you'd want them to post and read the comments. Sometimes you'll see a bunch of hearts, thumbs up emojis, or you're really, really sexy. Maybe that's not what you want. Maybe you look at another influencer and you're like, oh, wow, this is a really nice piece of jewelry, or I love that outfit. Where do you get it from? Some influencers are really, really good at driving conversation about the topics that they share and talk about, and that's really key. That's what's going to drive performance. And you don't need to be a big influencer to, to, to have that effect. That makes a lot of sense too. So you keep talking about platforms. What platforms do we need to be looking at? You've mentioned TikTok, you've mentioned Facebook, you've mentioned Instagram. Yeah, I think it, it depends on the product. It depends on your goals and it depends on a few things, but it's an important exercise to think about the right platforms. I'll, I'll share a couple of examples of different platforms and different use cases. Instagram, if your product is visual and you cater to you know large large or niche populations, it can work really well on Instagram. If it's something that people typically like to share, it could be a food, a beverage, a clothes, an outfit that maybe doesn't need like a ton of explanation, Instagram can work really, really, really well. Why? Because, you know, people share photos and videos and there's tons of people and it's a huge platform. One thing to keep in mind with Instagram is that it's really, really good for steady performance. Why is that? When someone posts, Instagram is not really a viral platform anymore, unlike TikTok. So what does that mean when you're working with, with influencers? If you have 100 influencers and they post 100 stories in one month, you're going to get X eyeballs, X comments. 
If you do the same campaign the next month, it will likely perform very, very similar. You can tweak things, you can improve things, but there's not a ton of variance. So Instagram is really, really good for stable type stuff. TikTok is another great example of a platform. And, and with Instagram, you can drive clicks towards sales with coupon codes, with link in bios. So Instagram can be really good for content creation. It can be really good for awareness and it can also be really good for sales. Again, it depends on what goals you know your brand wants. Let's look at TikTok. So TikTok is not going to be as good typically for driving sales right now because you know you can't really have as many links. There's no swipe up links on stories, which work really, really well for driving purchases on Instagram. However, TikTok is really interesting because there's this huge viral factor, right? So if you have one influencer posting one video one week or another week, they might get 150 views on one of them and 500,000 views on another. A little bit extreme, but we, we see that consistently. And so when we talk to brands that are just testing out TikTok, usually there's two things. Either they're not hitting any success or they're like, hey, we just got this video that got 500,000 views and it drove like a bunch of this and that. Like, how do we do this all the time? And, and it's hard. It requires a lot more creativity. You might not be able to work with as many influencers because you really need to work with them to make sure their content has a chance of going viral. The audience is also a little bit different, right? TikTok skews a little bit younger. You know, there's older people going on the platform, but depending on the type of products and your, your price points, if you're something that's more affordable and is a great fit for kids and teens, TikTok is a great bet. YouTube is also interesting. We'll talk a couple uh, about a couple dynamics there. So YouTube, if you're in the food and, and, and health supplement category, it's going to be very, very difficult because of something people don't really talk about all the time. All of the YouTubers already have their health and fitness brands, right? So anyone that's got a fitness channel on YouTube, which is going to be theoretically your perfect influencer, either has exclusivity with someone or has their own products. So it's going to be hard to compete. If you're you know, YouTube has an older audience too. So it's really, really good for, you know, old products that cater to maybe uh, later than millennials, like people in the 30, 40, 50 years old. It's really, really good for products that require a lot of explanation because again, the watch time is higher. So you can really have like a full review video that's like, hey, look at this microphone. It works this that way and that way, this way and that way. And then one of the really interesting dynamics with YouTube is that there aren't as many creators it is very slow to get content off the ground. So if you want a lot of YouTube videos, that's not going to happen in a month. That can happen in a month on Instagram and TikTok. So there's a really long lead time because people have full content calendars. But the awesome thing about YouTube is that it builds SEO, right? People are searching for videos. So if you're creating a bunch of videos about podcasting equipment and, and doing reviews and things like that, if you run your influencer program for one year, 12 months from now, 50% of your sales will probably come from videos that you paid for months and months and months ago. Whereas on Instagram and TikTok, that content is typically not going to be seen again, right? So very, very interesting dynamics across different, different platforms. So let me talk just for a second about um, Instagram, right? You were saying that Instagram is no longer a, a viral platform. And I think that Instagram knows that, but Instagram and other platforms continuously make changes. So it used to be Instagram posts, then it was Instagram stories. Now Instagram has launched reels. And even if we look at like Facebook, Facebook is, is kind of following suit. So even though the platforms stay the same, they're actually changing the way in which you can watch that content or post that content or make that content. Do you think that with a platform specifically like Instagram that starts changing to and 
focusing on and prioritizing reels as opposed to post, does that keep them relevant or do you think that it really doesn't matter that much? Well, so I think Instagram is is still very relevant just because they have so much market share and so much people on there. So they are relevant with or without reels for a while. I think reels is very interesting because it gives influencers a new way to really capture way larger audiences. Because when you started off on Instagram, if you'd post cool content and use good hashtags, it would be pretty easy to grow your following, right? Um, but that's way harder to do now on Instagram. And Reels gives people that have really, really good content creation and content quality a chance to do that again. I think TikTok invented an amazing algorithm and concept for it. And it's awesome to see Instagram start doing that. Typically, we see a lot more growth on TikTok when, when you're posting real type videos. Reels are basically TikToks on Instagram, right? When yep. we see brands experimenting with that type of content and influencers that are posting that type of content, currently, we still see much stronger success on TikTok. But that might change over the next couple of years or months as Instagram flesh that, fleshes that out. And so I think with influencer marketing, it's really valuable to just be you know constantly testing and experimenting with different platforms and concepts because you never know when is the right time for, for that. I think another example of a recent feature, um, you know, for a while you could not do whitelisting on TikTok. Now you can. And so brands are seeing really, really good performance working with content creators and influencers on TikTok to create these videos and then, you know, whitelisting them, which lets them go back to these sales driven or, or um, acquisition driven goals. Again, you create your content for brand awareness and things like that, get some views, and then you can actually put media behind it either on your account or on the influencer's account to drive clicks. And the format actually changes when you do that. You can actually have, you know, CTAs on it. Whereas, on a regular TikTok video, you can't really have a, a native call to action. You Sure, you can mention a coupon code. You can say the website out loud, but it's not the same as having a button that says shop now, buy now. So if you're looking at the influencer world going into 2022, if you had a crystal ball and you could predict what big changes are going to happen for that year, what do you think they are? Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, I think that I mean, I think the engagement and growth on TikTok is pretty nuts and they're shipping a lot of stuff. So I think that it's going to become, the TikTok is going to be better and better for, um, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of influencer marketing. The other thing is that there's going to be a lot less of like swipe up to go to my Shopify store because all of the platforms are building native integrations with, yeah. you know, TikTok, with, with Facebook, with Instagram. And so I think you're going to see a lot more holistic campaigns that are, you know, more, more shop driven and are going to perform really well from that perspective. So I think there's going to be a little bit of consolidation because you don't really have to think about your awareness and shopping campaigns as much because it's especially for influencer marketing, because it's going to be so easy and so frictionless to, you know, do commerce. And then yeah. I hope that by setting up all these features, we're going to see a reversal of the iOS 14 performance issues because, you know, everything's kind of like so easy, so streamlined to check out through these apps that you're going to start getting more data, more attribution and, and better performance there. But uh, those are just wild, wild guesses from my perspective. We typically just like to test and iterate and, and see when things start performing well. Yeah, people ask me all the time. They're like, what's coming up in the future? What's your two year plan? I'm like, I don't have one. Right. Because anything that I speculate is going to happen or anything I try to do right now is going to be blown, you know, completely blown up by six months from now because things are moving so fast.
And, and I think that's what the two-year plan needs to be. It needs to be a really good framework for experimentation, right? I think yep. typically some of the faster growing e-commerce brands will always reserve a you know 10 to 20% testing budget, both within the channel. So for example, if you're running Facebook ads and you're spending 100K a month on Facebook ads, you should spend 20% of your budget testing new creatives, testing new you know campaign types, but also from a channel perspective, right? making sure that 20% of your overall creative budget or and, and media buying budget is dedicated to having new channels and testing new channels to be able to, you know, see what's coming, not see what's coming, but test what's coming as it's coming and be ready to capitalize on it when, when the time is right. Sure. So, you know, we'd mentioned before about how you worked with, you know, 10,000 influencers through uh, a company and that company is archive.ai. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And part of that company, you actually kind of operate as an influencer agency for large brands. You know, typically this is um, not something that's available for folks just getting started. It's not available for, you know, smaller companies because it's a, it's kind of a big service, but you do have a free tool on the Shopify app store, right? Yeah. So let's talk briefly about what that is because everybody loves free. And if there's a good tool or a good piece of information out there, I want to share it. Yeah, so our app is called Archive App. For the alpha, it's currently free, and it will automatically save and collect your content that your brand gets tagged in on Instagram. So if you're running influencer marketing programs or if you just have customers posting about your products, they will be sharing stories. These stories disappear within 24 hours. That's that's annoying, right? You want that content, but it goes away. So we see companies saving that manually, um, we see companies being sad when that content disappears because they want to run ads behind it. And so through our influencer marketing you know, services, we were creating so much content that we built some technology to save and collect all of that content for those programs. We repurpose that technology as a standalone Shopify app that any customer can use. So it's currently in alpha. We have about 30, 40 companies using it. And you just, in a couple clicks, connect your Shopify account you know, by installing the app, connect your Instagram and Facebook account, and that's it. In the background, we'll automatically figure out when someone tags your brand, save that content, put in a really nice library that you can search, sort, and filter so that anytime you need to run a new paid social campaign and are looking for some UGC, you can just go ahead and download that content and it's ready to go. That's awesome. So you guys check that out. Uh, the archive, you called it the archive app, right? Yeah, it's called archive app. And you can check it out at archive.ai slash app. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, you've given me a lot of information here, a lot to think about. I've, If you guys can see the YouTube video, I am taking mountains of notes and having all sorts of thoughts and things that I want to follow up on. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we have to kind of wrap this thing up because we're running out of time. Uh, let me ask you this, Paul. You were a software engineer, a Stanford guy that never thought you'd be in marketing, never thought you'd be developing you know, your own influencer marketing solutions right now. Uh, you've created a business. You know, you're a young guy. This is something you jumped into. And you must have learned from some smarter people than you uh, little tidbits of wisdom that have helped you kind of pull this off. So in a lot of the most recent episodes, I ask people the same question I'm going to ask you. If you could go to your bookshelf right now and grab a book that had one of the most profound influences and impacts for you getting started in this entrepreneurial journey, what is that book? So I would say um, there's a book called Great CEO Within by Matt Macari. It's actually started off as a Google Doc and is now a book. And that has 
it's not the funnest book to read, but it's <laughs> incredibly precise and specific in terms of things you can do to build your company in the right way. And so that book has had probably the most profound impact in terms of how we build our company. Um, I think if I could do another one, Principles by Ray Dalio, another great one. I think those two are really, you know, strong sources of inspiration and playbooks that, you know, has led to where we are in terms of culture and, and the operations we have. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. Uh, thank you all for being on this episode. Thanks for listening. We appreciate Paul coming in and share this information. Check out archive.ai to find out more information about what he's got going on that might be able to help you on your whole influencer route. And if you know you found any value in this episode, go back and listen to it again. Listen to it a second time and pick up some little tidbits. Uh, take some notes and actually follow through and take action. You know, one thing that I'm really bad about is hearing all sorts of good information that I never follow up with it and never do anything with it. So make sure that all of you listeners are not me. Take action and uh, and try to start moving the needle in your business. Thank you again so much, Paul, for being on. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you guys on the next episode.